Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 26, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, excited about tonight's show. Uh, in about 20 minutes, we're cu- uh, going to join us. Joining us once again from Red Racing Horses is Jackson Dar. Jackson's going to talk to us about all kind of campaigns. Real interesting thing is he's a he comes from the Republican side of the aisle, but he likes to cover the horse race, and so um, gives us a unique perspective we don't get from a lot of our guests. Uh, but until then, we are going to talk about one unending topic that just continued throughout the week, and that was just, and I'm going to try to sum it up with a thesis, the Trump administration's disregard for decorum and the rule of law. Now, I don't know if that completely, succinctly uh, sums it all up, but we're going to try to go through as much as we can of this entire week. And uh, Tim, kind of where do you think this all started? Did this start with Don McCann? not uh, testifying, or was it something before that? You know, I, I I think as soon as the Mueller report came out and Barr did what he did, Trump got it in his head right then. You know what? We're, we're, we're going to push back against Congress. We're not going to uh, do ev- anything that they say and <laughs> They, they're just uh, the, the story now is they're just continuing to block every request from the House, no matter how mundane it is. It can be a normal hearing, and people are refusing to go. It, it don't matter what it is, and, and he has, to date at least, effectively, effectively blocked oversight. We we talked, you know, before the election about one thing. That would happen if the Democrats took um, control of the House and that word was oversight. And Trump is just thumbing his nose uh, at at it right now. So uh, McCann is just uh, one of the one of the things there's. There, there, there's other things going on too. Like, is Mueller going to come, or are or, or, or any of these things going to happen? Obviously, Barr refused to come. All, all these things are going on, uh, and they're all going on at the same time. And you know, Trump, of course, is behind all of it. Yeah, Catherine. I mean, we know for a while Donald Trump has uh, said, "I'm above the rule of law." What do you think gave him the empowerment to just say all of my people are above the rule of law, which is even more galling? I think it's fear. I think he's afraid of what what people are going to say, and so he's just uh, trying to, you know, block anyone from talking. 
Um, and he's putting on this uh, facade of strength and um, forcefulness, but really I think he's afraid. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, Tim, you're right that it is uh, more than just um, Don McGann. He was just the one this week. He had already kind of said, you know, okay, um, you know, William Barr is not going to testify. So basically anybody from the Trump administration this point forward won't testify. How come do you think the Republicans in Congress and the Senate are just going along with this complete uh, disregard for checks and balances? Well, I always thought that they just kind of had their little deal with the devil, and it was this. You know you know what, Mr. President? You go ahead and do whatever you want to as long as you let us do whatever we want to and, you know, get our judges and pass some stuff and uh, do some things about some uh, social issues and try to get rid of Obamacare and do something about abortion and and uh, immigration and this and that and the other. Uh, I, you know, and you, you know they they've seen what happens when he turns the tweets against some of them. So yeah. uh, Catherine's partly right about that. Is that is fear uh, with some of them. Uh, they're just afraid of him, and others, I think, are perfectly willing to go along with him as long as they uh, stay in control and get what they want. And right now, with a divided Congress, there's just no way that I think that Democrats can mount a really, really, really good challenge unless the courts, well, unless the courts surprise us in uh, – positive ways that I'm just not sure they're they're going to do. One thing you shouldn't do, though, David, it, it, he, he really ought to quit messing with Nancy Pelosi. She is a seasoned, very experienced politician, and so far she has basically taken him out behind the woodshed. He, She's one person he's not been able to handle, and every time he tries, he looks worse for doing it. You notice he's not giving her any nicknames. He's calling well, her Nancy, right? Well, we we will get there, and he, and he did this finally this week, and he did some other stuff, but we'll get there. We need to pace ourselves. Um, Catherine, uh, shouldn't the Republicans' biggest fear, though, be that the way that Trump is operating could become the new normal? Because a lot of times we see one party or the other, and I think we feel it's probably one party more than the other, that misuses power and misuses something, but then it becomes the new normal, and our Constitution's not as strong, and our decorum is not as strong, and our procedures are not as strong because of when these norms are broken and just completely ignored. And shouldn't the Republicans, knowing where the country looks like it's heading long-term, shouldn't they be very fearful of breaking down norms that protect the minority? No. I mean, I think they should be, but they aren't, because they're more concerned about what's happening now and what's going to happen in the next election. They're not really thinking about, uh, you know, the, the legacy of their, of their, 
party or of what they've accomplished or not accomplished as elected officials. I don't think. I mean, I think they're uh, much like our um, corporate uh, corporate heads, heads of corporations. They're really worried about this quarter, this election, and we'll we'll deal with the rest when it comes up. That's what I think. I mean, they can talk all they want about the Constitution and how this isn't, you know, they're, they, they, you know, believe in the Constitution, but by all rights and by all uh, actions, they really don't. Yeah, I mean, it's just something you think that somebody in their party, besides the, to his credit, the congressman from Michigan, uh, Justin Amish, I believe his name is. Um, actually has spoken up, and there's a former congressman from Missouri that, that's also spoken up in pretty forceful ways. Um, well, Tim, let's get to it. Uh, then, and I don't even want to get into the name-calling portion yet because that, that's, that's probably even the less of the, the problems. He uh, invites uh, up Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, the leaders in the House and Senate, to talk about infrastructure. And then within minutes of the meeting started, he storms out and said, I can't do anything with you um, because you want to investigate me. He goes out in the Rose Garden with this miraculously put together um, uh, graphic. I- I'm surprised that one had to be thrown together in like a minute with poster board, uh, given that, you know, he-, he had to make that decision just right on the spot. It couldn't have been premeditated. Um, he goes out and says, as long as they want to do investigations – we can't govern, so even though you know infrastructure is my big calling card, no infrastructure for America. Um, isn't this even like the biggest thing? Because this isn't decorum. This is your job is to govern. You are supposed to work with people, and he's just flat out refusing to do it. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I know that some of in, in his base are are love, loving what he did. Uh, to to most of the public, I think he came across looking like a something of a crybaby in this with this uh, staged event. But I just I just don't think he really cares. It doesn't move so, seem to move his poll numbers either way very much. And I, I just I just don't think. I, I think he loves doing this sort of thing. I think he likes, uh, you know, conflict, and I, I, I don't think he's happy without it, and he needs his enemies. But, but again, uh, she is, uh, Nancy Pelosi in particular, is probably the wrong fight for person for him to, to pick a fight with because I just haven't seen him look good as a result, you know, any time. Yes. Catherine, at the end of the day, this is him just refusing to do his job, refusing to do the people's business. Um, I guess this is the most blatant example of him doing this. Uh, How can he hold, you know, America's agenda, if you will, hostage for his own personal devices? Without at least a portion of his base and certainly everybody else turning against him, I don't think he. I mean, I just don't think he's that um, 
uh, I don't think he thinks about things that way. And I just want to point out that it was like a masterful stroke of Nan- from Nancy Pelosi to make that announcement right before going into that meeting. Uh, you know, what did she say? Um, that he was, you know, obviously involved in a cover-up. And I mean, I know a lot of people are criticizing her for that, but it really did just, it, it just set him off and made him look very petty, right? Because that, I think that's what set him off that day was that she made that statement and then, then came into that meeting. But I don't know how someone looks at this president and doesn't see that he's not doing his job, that he's not uh, fulfilling the campaign. Pro- I mean, infrastructure was a campaign promise. And he's not doing it now because he's mad at Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. So I don't know how you look at that and continue to support him. But I don't understand how, you know, for the last, you know, almost two years, how people have looked at this and thought they could, or over two years, thought that he was fulfilling his duties and responsibilities. So it's just more of the same a little more intense this week, but it's the same story it has been. Yeah, and David. So, oh, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say I, I, I disagree with you on something. This is not the most blatant example. You might recall <laughs> late last year he told them on TV, you know, give me my wall or I'm – I'm gonna shut the government. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And, yeah, and, that and yeah. he, you're, you're he did. <laughs> you know, he had yeah. to back down. And that didn't work he, out good for him. No, yeah, th- that was a that was a political crisis for him because his poll numbers dropped markedly. One thing that may be in his favor this time is he has summer vacations going on. So, um, you know, with the government actually not being shut down and people being, you know, off of vacation and having fun. Uh, maybe they don't uh, pay attention as much, uh, so he might not hit as as much of a, a political wall here. But, uh, I mean, it's just absolutely blatant just to say I'm not going to do my job. I mean nobody else can get away with that, and that ought to be something that people across the political spectrum can relate to because the rest of us, pretty much regardless of what our job is, we couldn't just say we're not going to do our job because somebody's not treating me like I want to be treated. Um, well, let, let's move on, Tim, to what you want to talk about, and that how he, you know, tangled with Nancy Pelosi. Now he did end up calling her crazy, which, you know, uh, he actually then <laughs> said, "Well, I've called, you know, Bernie crazy too, so I'm not very creative here." Um, I guess it sounds like everybody's running fireworks stores up in Tennessee um, with these nicknames or used car lots. But then, um, they, then even worse, there was this doctored video, and there was another one that was a spliced video, and it was be bad enough for this video to exist because the one where it was just slowed down, I don't even see how anybody thought that. That looked like the TV was messed up or the computer was messed up, but the, the fact that it exists is bad enough. But then the president of the United States on Twitter retweets this thing. Um, how low is this, you know, very personal and really false attack, uh, Catherine? Well, it's just stupid and and offensive, and um, 
I, I mean, it was obvious that it was fake. Um, and for him, and then also Giuliani retweeted it too. Um, for 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 the president and the president's attorney to, uh, you know, post such ridiculous and false information is, you know, it's embarrassing, and it's uh, it in a, in any other at any other moment in history aside from the Trump era, we would be horrified by it, but we're not even surprised by it now. Yeah. Tim, I was thinking of a way that, you know, Democrats could react to this and, and and really look like they're taking the high road, but then at the same time just give the worst absolute possible dig at Donald Trump. Every time he does one of these things and a Democrat gets asked about it, couldn't they just turn and go, you know, I really support the first lady's be best campaign and just take it right back to that anti-bullying initiative? <laughs> and of course, then Donald Trump, I mean, it wouldn't take long and he'd have he'd have, you know, Melania Trump shutting it down or she wouldn't shut it down. And there'd be chaos in the East Wing, which could be, you know, better than anything, because it is absolutely the height of hypocrisy it'd be like if you know laura bush had the reading initiative and you know george w bush was setting books on fire or nancy reagan was saying just say no to drugs and you know ronald was throwing you know pills out to the kids i mean he is absolutely america's number one bully and his wife's big initiative is anti-bullying <laughs> what do you think of that as a, as a subtle tact? Well, that that's great. The problem is we don't have much historical uh, to compare this guy to. We have never seen yeah. anything like this. He made his mind when he came to Washington. He's just going to blow everything up. Uh, and as we'll discuss, I'm sure, later on in the show about uh, the uh, – Attacks on the intelligence services and stuff. He, he, he's he's going about trying to do it. But I, I go back to 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 what I was saying. I just really don't think this man's mind's right. Do, does any of this look like a person uh, who is in complete control of his faculties? To y'all, it's like if you took some person out of a psycho ward and said, "Okay, you know, you're president and try to act normal." And he just, you know, he he's he he's not. Uh, there's there's another uh, caveat here too, and I know Catherine has seen a lot of this because she's on social media as much as I am. Uh, but social media has pretty much ridiculed the Nancy Pelosi doctored tapes to the point that the conservatives are not really pushing those things out there front and center like they would if we had pretty much stayed silent about it, and people on social media are not staying silent about it. They're making fun uh, of those that are putting these doctored tapes out. Uh, I I like that. You know, sometimes you got to hit a bully in in the nose, guys. I know this BPS thing is a great idea to take the high road, but... uh, I don't know. I'm not a high road kind of guy with a guy like Trump, but that's just me. Well, it, it really, really cut to the core. I think it would irritate him more than anything because it was his wife's initiative. 
Um, mm-hmm. well, well, let's get into the final portion of this whole thing, um, and, and that would be the fact that just Friday, uh, Donald Trump has given over the intelligence um, uh, overseeing of the CIA and everything else to the Attorney General William Barr, and really, you know, the Attorney General is not supposed to be in charge of the CIA. FBI, more so, but not the CIA. Uh, Catherine, how egregious is this? <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but why are we not surprised? I mean, I, 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 uh, I you know, we t- we have talked about this a number of times. We keep wondering what the floor is like where is the point at which people become outraged i mean especially our elect- especially our congressional and senate leaders like whatever party you're in at what point do they just do something about it um there's not much that us as individuals can do aside from contacting our elected officials until election day but I mean, I'm I'm just amazed that he just keeps doing things and just we just roll over and oh well that's the way he is or whatever. But yeah, it's it's very egregious. It's a it's a a, a terrible um, a terrible message to our foreign uh, allies, and it's all around bad bad policy yes now tim how dangerous is all this we talked about egregious how dangerous is this to do um make this move well you know what he's doing with bar is simple they're developing this alternate reality in which there was this vast conspiracy to get trump for instance they keep on harping on this steel dossier when we know for a fact that's not how this russian thing uh, with trump started uh, and the scary part the, the dangerous part is that he now is using the word treason saying people, uh, career government officials and people in the our intelligence services committed treason. They had this conspiracy to where they're going to go after him, and, 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 and it, it was all planned from day one. And, you know, these conspiracy theories, guys, they, they have – they put things together like a jigsaw puzzle. They'll take what available facts they come up with and make it fit their narrative. And it's, it's, it's just really frightening that we have a president who is directly attacking, like the CIA, the FBI, wanting to give out state secrets and just, it is, you know, I'm 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 really, I I got a chill when I heard this. Didn't you? Yes, I mean it could get very uh, scared for our country because, okay, assuming you think the worst of what's going on with Donald Trump and Russia, if William Barr's completely in the tank for Donald Trump, and then Donald Trump has truly been compromised by Russia, and the CIA now has. This overriding check it didn't have before, that could put our country at risk. Now, I'm not saying that I'm 
number one guy in line on all of the theories. But I'm just saying, given that that's out there, that makes this even you know scarier than it would be under normal circumstances. Um, but it's just once again, it's just changing of the rules and norms, and nobody agreed to it just because Donald Trump wanted to make it so because he has so little knowledge or care of how government and this country and democracy functions. It's just clear every day that he just either you know doesn't know or doesn't care you know what James Madison and Thomas Jefferson and all these other framers of the Constitution had in mind with our democracy, and that's sad to think. Um, well, guys, let's go on to another topic, and I, by the way, I have been sending text and emails, if you're wondering. Um, I'll leave it at that for right now. Um, but we're going to go on to another thing we had wanted to talk about. We didn't even know if we'd get to it, so I'm glad we really are, and that is uh, Donald Trump does have a primary opponent. Um, you know, Obviously, you can go to Politics One, and you can find all these people that say they're running – but they've never really held elective office, and it's how serious are they? Well, he does have uh, William Weld, who was the governor of Massachusetts, has you know run for Senate and has run for vice president as a libertarian. He's uh, opposing Donald Trump. He actually has a, a real legit campaign manager in you know friend of the show uh, Stuart Stevens, who ran Mitt Romney's campaign. So uh, I mean, it's not like it's just completely quixotic he has some pieces of a, of a real campaign uh but donald trump has quite a hold on the you know republican party right now i mean i think if if george w bush somehow could say hey i can try to serve a third term uh and i'm gonna run i think he'd be the underdog and that's how much you know hold uh, donald trump has on the electorate that said um catherine what do you think the chances are for William Weld, or, or what's the best case scenario, I should say? I don't think he has a chance. Uh, I mean, I just don't see a path where he gets votes. I mean, he's not going to get the Republican base. Um, he ran as a libertarian, so some of our, um, you know, sort of moderate or like old school Republicans are are unlikely to support him, probably more likely to support a Democrat than someone who was ran as a libertarian. He's probably, I mean, I haven't looked at his record, um, but he's probably more liberal than, than, you know, some Southern Democrats. So um, I, I just, I don't see a path where he gets the kind of support. Plus I don't think he's very well known um, so I don't know how he sort of gets in the media. Uh, you know, I guess he's been on MSNBC, CNN. I doubt Fox is going to give him much air. Uh, so I, I don't see a path. Okay. Tim, what's your thoughts, like either his chances or best-case scenario? Well, the best case scenario, I think, is, is he's not going to beat Trump unless the bottom just falls out for Trump. But if he could wound him, that would help. But I, I'm looking at some numbers here, and I don't even see that. Um, like, here's a poll that says Trump's up 54 to 8 
with 10% undecided. Uh, looks like only about 30% of Republican voters in this poll would even consider voting for him. He has a 4% approval rating in Iowa. 80, 87% of the voters in Iowa don't know who he is or have no opinion of him. In Massachusetts, now he's from there, right? There's 3% of the voters said they would support. Well, well, 17% of them said they'd support Kasich, and he's not even running. Uh, <laughs> in, the, in the political uh, poll, Trump's up 78 to 7, 85 to 15, Emerson. It, look, it's been 22 years since Weld held political office. He's been all over the lot since then. He endorsed Obama in 2008. He ran as the vice presidential pick on the Libertarian ticket in 2016. One writer described him as the base of the Republican Party 50 years ago. Uh, <laughs> he, he likes opera, and he has a pet hedgehog. How's that going to play in NASCAR country? Uh, and plus, Trump has an 87% approval uh, in the Republican Party. And I think the only thing that changes any of that, and I'm serious, is the economy. What do you think, David? Well, I'll tell you what, Tim. I do agree that opera's pretty big city, blue state material. But I didn't know the hedgehog had a political, um, you know, people had a political ideology on hedgehogs. But unfortunately, in our highly polarized uh, environment, you're probably right. You're probably some research out there that the hedgehog is is blue state and a squirrel is red state or something uh, because everything's <laughs> got to have that. a partisan lean unfortunately Catherine, i mean i think there's some people would, who would question a, a male candidate that had a cat let alone a hedgehog <laughs> yeah they would yeah now yeah, see i'm would wait and say it. you know I, what that means wouldn't they Catherine? wouldn't well they? or they'd just be like well you know a cat's not really a pet or you know, the well, only real pet is a dog or, you know, yeah. any of those things. So, That's so yeah, I, I'd be, I, mean, I'd be I know it's, it's silly, but I think I think that hedgehog is going to hurt him. But, but I'll tell you this. I, I'll be I'll be absolutely fair gender wise. I would question a woman with a cat just as equally as a man, because you can be a man or a woman and be a great president. But I just got to you know, question your choice in pets with that cat. You know, and my two dogs right here agree. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's. Uh, but let seriously, let's get into this thing. Okay. This is the one, uh, you know, one of the little angles, and I think you're absolutely right, Tim, about the economy. But you would think that the Republican Party is going to have lower turnout because everybody's like, you know, Donald Trump's going to win this thing. Uh, he's the incumbent. There's not this major challenger to him, and so. Why show up and vote, particularly because a lot of his true base are, are, are low-information, low-intensity voters. So let's say you know Bill Weld's going to get you know what you show in that poll somewhere like seven to fifteen percent. Well, let's say the traditional turnout's pretty low because people are like, well, I don't have to turn out for that thing, and that thing grows in the Iowa caucus or more likely in New Hampshire. He gets like twenty-five percent. I mean, he still would lose. You know, by 50 points, if it's 75-25, but it's like, whoa, man, this guy's doing better. 
and then the snowball rolls a little bit more, and he can, he can sneak that thing up to 30 and then make you know Donald Trump actually expend some energy. Um, is that not kind of the best-case scenario? Catherine, could you see something like that unfolding uh, because of turnout trends? No. <laughs> I just don't – I don't think people – so you're suggesting that he's going to be able to motivate some voters to vote for him when we well, when I think, the people who would vote for for Trump aren't going to vote. Well, I, I think the I, never I mean, Trumpers I just don't are more likely to show up. Yeah, I think I just think the the never Trumpers are more likely to show up than the Trump got this in the bag voters. Um, Tim, do you think that that he, he might have better turnout just by? And it's not because of him. It's just because I mean, it could be uh, a stick in the road against Donald Trump, and they're just going to support stick in the road. It's just a not Trump. I mean, do you think those no, voters you know, are more likely to go up polls? I, I, I can't. I got to go with Catherine. I'm thinking back historically to insurgencies against sitting presidents. And what prompted them, and I just don't see any of that right now. This is so different. Uh, and, you, you know, I just cannot see it happening. You've said it yourself, David. Democrats fall in love. What do Republicans do? They fall in line. They got He's got an 87% approval rating. There's just no way after if, if all this craziness he's done – that he still has that approval rating in the Republican Party. Well, they're 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 going lockstep with this guy, and they're they're just not going to get off of him. And I think we'll be lucky to pull fifteen percent of the vote in some of these uh, early states. I just, uh, I you know, he doesn't. Oh, have, I think that's uh, very generous. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. Well, it, but uh, that's it. If I were him, I would ignore Iowa. I wouldn't even mess with Iowa. My, my campaign would start in New Hampshire. Uh, I think that's the best scenario. Probably then I would take any momentum, even if it's a glimmer. I wouldn't even go to South Carolina. I'd take it to Nevada. I mean, I, I would really structure this thing early uh, around what I'm good at. And, and here's the thing. I, I got to ask you another – y'all both another question. Catherine, I mean, I agree. This thing is crazy uphill. I mean, this is a almost a um, straight up ninety degree ascent. But why would Stuart Stevens, a, a very reputable, well thought of um, political consultant that has a blooming writing career to keep him busy, why does he sign up for such a quixotic um, endeavor? Well, well, maybe he needs the money. And um, and maybe he believes in him, but that doesn't – I mean, you know how I feel about political consultants. I don't – I think they're generally mercenaries. They'll do whatever – whoever's paying them the most. And uh, maybe he feels like – he may have a personal relationship with him. He may uh, – I mean, he may feel strongly about Trump and wants to do something to try to – but to try to uh, – um, not defeat him because I'm sure he's not expecting to defeat him. But you know, maybe he's just interested in giving him a challenge. But it's probably for the money. Well, I mean, 
but, but Catherine, then you would be reinforcing the idea. If you're a political mercenary, you want your brand to be winning or at least out, you know, exceeding expectations. You don't want your brand to be what losing and falling flat. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, I mean all, all, the, all the successful political can, can, consultants have more losses than wins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to get in the game to 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 try to get the win, Tim. But it yeah, I, 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 I agree that you know the the guy's a hired gun, and if and if somebody's willing to pay him, you know, uh, he he's certainly going to be willing to to show up. And uh, I, I don't I don't think Stewart probably likes uh, Donald Trump any more than we do to go with it. But 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 in this case, I, I really think it's all about. It's all about the money. It's all about the work. I mean, political consultants need to work. The guy offered him a job, and and off he goes to work in that job. Uh, maybe after the Trump era is over and this party, and I believe they will, turn away from Donald Trump's type of politics. I, I've got to believe that. A guy like uh, Stewart who stood up, and said, you know, count, you know, I was counted during the Trump presidency. Uh, well, uh, you know, it'll look good on the resume, won't it, guys? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is there are going to be Senate races that are much more winnable, that would be much more satisfying and, you know, would not get into this kind of controversy. I mean, and this will, you know, you've got, and his name escapes me, but he was John McCain's campaign manager. He's a very vocal anti-Trumper. You got Rick Wilson, oh, Steve, who even wrote a uh, book on it. Um, Steve, is who? Steve somebody. Steve yeah, somebody. Steve. Yeah, yeah. And and he, all three of these gentlemen are really, you know, top. I mean, they two of them ran a presidential campaign, and Rick Wilson's involved with everything he wants to be involved with. Um, and they're all in this anti-Trumper movement, but if only that's only you know twenty percent tops of the Republican Party, there, there may not be that much work there. So at some point, somebody's got to you know believe in in something here uh, to to keep doing. Well, I'm this. not saying he doesn't um, believe in him, yeah. but I don't think the fact that he's working for him means that he has any better chance than than we think he does. I don't think that I don't think those things go hand in mm-hmm. hand. Just because he's a, you know, successful political operative does not mean that there's a better chance for him to win than what we're saying. I don't think he has any uh, brilliant uh, insight, more brilliant insight on this than we do, or than anyone does. He's he needs a job and he and he took it. Well, we, we, I mean, we shall see, and, and it's good for the show, and it's probably good for America if William Weld exceeds our expectations and becomes a thing because Donald Trump, he is getting checked as hard as he can pretty much from the left. But if he could get checked from maybe not the right but from the Republican side of the aisle, then that's going to be good for America because it's not he can't then claim, oh, it's all partisan. And but, um, it's just those old Democrats. It's going to be, hey, it's just people that respect the rule of law, and that's going to that, be good for America. So I really hope that you know mm-hmm. some inertia happens to William Weld's campaign. Jim, partisans not the word. I don't think David. P- 
polarization is the word, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a number here, and it's the numbers from today, 538.com. You know they keep a pretty good running tote of the president's approval and disapproval ratings. Now, I mentioned to you that Donald Trump has an 87% approval rating among Republican voters. But overall, he has a 41.2% approval rating and a 53.9% disapproval rating, which has been spiking upward lately, by the way. It is total polarization. He's got the Republican base and no further. I wonder if William, well, perhaps, and Stewart are thinking about some of these states where independent voters can vote. It ain't closed primaries. And we've seen the dismal numbers that Donald Trump has with independent voters. You think any independent conservatives would be interested in jumping in and spoiling the party? I, and I see to me that seems like a reach because the Democratic primary is so exciting and, and, and so multifaceted that it seems like unless you're the kind of, you know, the independent and, you know, you can't see my air quotes that never actually votes for a Democrat, uh, other than those folks, unless it's towards the end and this thing's fleshed itself out, but you would think notice, at that point if we will Notice that conservatives. Nope. No, notice I said independent. Yeah, well, that, those are never that, That's what we've been talking. Yeah, this isn't really. Yeah, this is more the. You know, I'm thinking about people that may be like, oh, there's nothing going on one side of the ballot. I can go the other and see something interesting going on. But now, if they're truly independent conservatives, those are, you know, but pretty much the definition of the never Trumpers. But don't and that's you what you've got to have day one. Don't you think that there's a good 10% of Republican voters at least that really did hold their nose and perhaps uh, the well campaign is thinking there's our target right there. If we want to bloody the guy's nose, those are the people to go after. Yeah, There has to be at least 10%. Think about all these folks that we have on the Republican side of the aisle. We've had about one in the past two years, and I actually would not mind having more if the situation called for it. I just really don't know how to find these people because they don't, you know, float in the circles that I'm aware of. Um, but th- th- we have all these Republican consultants, and all these Republican guests, and they all are kind of that never Trumper, uh, you know, brand. And I, I don't want to call them all by name, but I mean, we've got a bunch of them that just. Don't subscribe to Trumpism, you know, lock, stock, and barrel by any means. I mean, they really mm-hmm. have some huge reservations. Well, uh, something we had planned to talk about, but it was really not with just us, but I think now we can go ahead and do that, is these two governor's races um, that are coming up this year. And really, if you look at them on the surface, you think Mississippi, Kentucky, off your elections, these aren't going to be interesting. These things are going to be, you know, Republicans should win these, no problem. Well, Kentucky had their primary, and we know, um, uh, you know, who the, the Democratic nominee is. And, and in Mississippi, they had a poll come out. And so both of these things look super interesting. Let's start off with Kentucky. Um, in Kentucky, we already know 
that the current sitting governor, uh, Matt Bevin, is the least popular governor in America, most controversial governor, and he's going to face a uh, sitting attorney general, son of the last popular Democratic governor, the you know the previous governor, uh, and it's Andy Bashir's the nominee. So we kind of know what's going on. I don't know that any pollings come out on it, but your gut says this thing's got to be starting out pretty close. Uh, Catherine, what's your thoughts on this Kentucky governor's race? Well, Bevins is just so unpopular that, um, and you know, maybe Andy Bashir has the, you know, he has the name recognition, but he's also young, so he's a, um, a, 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 um, a contradiction to um, Bevins. So. Uh, it should be an interesting race. I'm sure they'll both be um, well-funded, and uh, for, it should be lively to be watching. I'm sure it's lively in Kentucky as an observer. Yep. Uh, t- Tim, you a big follower of, of Andy – I'm sorry, not Andy Bevin. You may be too, but I know that you, you've been on Matt Bevin with this uh, approval rating being so low and how controversial he is. I mean, is this really a lot of his own making the political situation he's put himself in? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I, he 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 won such a close race before to start with, and then he goes after Medicaid expansion. We've talked about the, that stuff. He's gone after teachers with with gusto in that state and neither thing has been popular and i do mean at all with the voters up there and uh i i just don't think that uh i i i don't think he charlie cook said what he starts out uh even at best and probably is behind I have not seen any new polling on this thing. I don't think it's out there. Has either one of y'all seen any yet? I have not seen any. I think I think a lot of that was the fact that they were waiting for the nominee. Um, now let's get to the nominee and kind of how this sets up because a lot of times these off years governors races are a prelude or a precursor to the presidential race and. If there's one governor in America, and I think we said this when we talked about these governor approval ratings, that is the embodiment of Trumpism, it's Matt Bevin. And then if you think about Andy Bashir, he's his father's son who was the last you know, popular Democrat that um, – he was certainly not like a super progressive but just more of a, a mainstream, middle-of-the-road middle moderate type politician but still very popular because of his policy on medical care and so he's running in a lot of ways i'm sure on his father's legacy and think about what we could be heading to now there's a lot of presidential race going on but you've got um you know donald trump and we'll just leave that at that and then you've got possibly the vice president to the president that was so popular whose signature issue was expanding medical care um, for uh, you know America, and then Governor Bashir took on that for Kentucky. 
Is this a pretty good little 150th microcosm of a possible scenario for president, Catherine? Um, I mean, I agree that uh, Bevins is, you know, the Trump governor. I just think that this Democratic primary is so hard to tell right now, you know, with these new numbers for Harris. Uh, overcoming Bernie Sanders and the numbers and Elizabeth Warren's numbers coming up. I just think it's really hard to say what's going to happen with the Democratic primary. Well, so I'm not. I'm going to withhold uh, judgment on, you know, on that. But I think it's going to be very interesting. And uh, I mean, I, under, I I get what you're saying, and there, I think there's some validity to that. I'm just hesitant hmm. to jump to any conclusions about the. Democratic primary. Well, and, and Tim, I did say possible scenario. I mean, right. I know yeah, there, I know. there may be it. some different things happen. And, and really, and one thing Matt Bevin has that the big thing against Joe Biden is he's young and Joe Biden's old. So it's not a perfect correlation. There ain't going to be any perfect correlations, but I guess the lieutenant governor might be even a better direct correlation. But um, Tim, what do you think? Uh, Bevin. Oh, boy. You know, uh, let me get back to the teachers thing for a second. They, they've they been laying for him. I mean, this dude said when they had their walkout to, to, you know, protest a pension bill or whatever it was, he said that resulted in child sexual assault troubles and, and other things because the children wasn't in school. I, tell you, I think pe- teachers in both parties are laying for him. They they could be a big swing in things. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but he had some pretty strong uh, opposition in the primaries. Uh, he got 52% of the vote in the primary. Um, had uh, one guy running against him that got 30-something percent of the vote. I, I I think that uh, I, I really think he's in some trouble. I, now Trump's looming over the race, guys. Let let let's don't. He's Trump's already said that the governor's in trouble and he's going to go out there and rescue him. You could be right, David. <laughs> that this could be a microcosm of of the 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 uh, race and and I uh, uh, of the national race. I can also tell you that. Uh, Bevin is 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 attacking uh, his opponents because of their support for abortion. Already, he's starting that. Uh, let's don't take him too lightly, though. The economy's in in pretty good shape. Um, Trump has very large support in that state. Uh, the Bevin. Bevin's campaign has a lot of money, and he personally is very wealthy. And uh, so, you know, I I guess it is going to be something of a national litmus test, but if there's one Republican governor going down uh, in the next year, it's got to be him. Yes, and now let's kind of segue over to the other governor's race, Um, Phil Bryant current governor of Mississippi, pretty sure he's term limited. Uh, He's not going to be the nominee. I don't think they've had their primary to see who their nominee is. I believe Tate Reeves, uh, former secretary of state, is one of the candidates. 
um, this vine for that. But pretty much, I think the Democratic nominee is set, somebody that people have been waiting for seemingly forever. Um, when Ronnie Musgrove lost uh, the governorship back in 2003, um, people were like, well, we got Jim Hood, attorney general, who was already serving as attorney general. 2003 is just a lifetime ago in politics, and Jim Hood's finally going to run, and they show a poll, and in this poll, Jim Hood is leading um, the Republican candidates, uh, which to me is, is a pretty interesting turn of events. It really makes that case of waiting for the right year because um, Mississippi being that odd year, not every year is, is the perfect time to run. I guess 2007 would have seemed a little more Democratic friendly, but I guess, you know, I guess he finally decided it's now or never. Uh, Catherine, your thoughts on the Mississippi governor's race? Yeah, I was surprised when I saw those numbers. Um, you know, wouldn't that be something? have a Democratic governor. How long has it been since we had a Democratic governor in Mississippi? I don't even know. 2003, Ronnie Musgrove. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, It seems like like longer uh, ago uh, than that, but um, wouldn't that be... Disclosure, I worked that campaign. It would be a great change for the South. Mississippi is is just... has so many... um, Bad results in all their everything. They're low in education and healthcare and hospitals. I mean everything. And I think a Democratic uh, governor would would really help that. And uh, I, I'm optimistic, having seen those numbers. Cautiously optimistic, I must say. Yeah, because uh, I mean, and there to me is a big difference in the complexion of those two states. Kentucky has Louisville and Lexington, which are um, bigger, you know, urban metropolises. One, Lexington's not as, you know, as big, but it's a college town where the University of Kentucky is. But Louisville's, I mean, a fairly progressive city, uh, a decent-sized city, whereas, you know, much more so than I think Jackson, Mississippi um, would be. And if you look at the trends, uh, cities are trending far faster and the Democratic column. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on Mississippi? We've got three Republicans running. You, you mentioned Tate Reeves. He's the present lieutenant governor. I, I think the governor and some other heavyweights are uh, supporting him. He's a clear favorite, even though uh, William Waller, the former chief justice of the state Supreme Court's running, and we got a state representative, what's his name, Robert Foster, running. Um, of course, you did mention that the Democrats uh, had their guy, but you know what? There's like, uh, let's say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people <laughs> who have already announced that they are running. Of course, by far the best known of them is, is the Attorney General, Jim Hood, who Democrats have been salivating to get in this race forever and a day uh, because he keeps winning statewide races in one of the most Republican states in, in the country. Um, the, these other folks, um, I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't see anyone who can uh, beat him. 
So Tim is one of the nine Sean O'Hare. Well, let me look here. Sean You know O'Hare. Sean O'Hare. No. He's probably running for governor in both parties, and he's running for every other race in both parties on the ballot. Is he running again this yeah. year? No, but here's a familiar name, Philip West, and we might have had him on the show one time. He was the mayor of Natchez. Didn't we have him on the show one time when he was thinking about running for Congress or he did run for Congress or something like that? He is the only guy that I see uh, that is just like, you know, anyone who could pull yeah. maybe double digits against it. I, I don't yeah. I don't see anybody else here. Uh, so I, I think you got yeah. your candidates, guys. I think you got the lieutenant governor and the state's attorney general running against each other. And I feel very hopeful that Jim Hood, he, he, he must be well liked in that state. I, I I I believe he's got a shot to win that thing. Wouldn't it be something if we won both of those races this year? Wouldn't that? Well, well okay. It, well, th- that's my next question, and Catherine, I'll ask you: Is we wake up on the first Wednesday in um, November, and the Republicans have lost both of those races and those Republican bastions. I mean, states that are part of the, you know, Republicans map every single time, uh, certainly on the presidential level. Um, what would the, you know, the Trump campaign, the Republicans, even running for, you know, Senate campaigns and congressional campaigns, what do they think less than a year out at that point um, if they're losing Kentucky and Mississippi? Will they start ramping up the hate? But I think but, it would be very, um, very uh, exciting for the people, the Democrats in Kentucky and Mississippi. It would be a big momentum for them to really work to get a Democrat elected, Democrats elected across the board in their state. I, I mean, I think it would be a great um, motivator. Well, for all of us, but especially wait, wait. for the people in those states. Well, you say they ramp up the hate, but then here's the thing. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Matt Bevin will have already ramped up the hate in, in Kentucky to try to win re-election, and then it would mean it wouldn't work. Um, Tim, you know, what do they do at that point? Well, I think they might panic a little bit because you're going to have to throw in that special election in Alabama, too. That that just, you know, I, I know it was a perfect storm and all that, but... One thing you could do is tie Alabama and Mississippi together. Uh, African-American voters, so important in both of those states, especially African-American women. Uh, We would have that dynamic working as well in, uh, you know, Kentucky's largest city. If there was a huge turnout uh, in the city of Louisville, for the Democratic ticket that propelled them to victory. Um, yeah, it, it would scare the Republicans to death uh, because, frankly, they, they should not lose races in states like Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, where Donald Trump just won in blowout fashion. Uh, just three short years ago, should they? I mean, lose them all? I mean, yeah. it's just it's shocking. 
Well, and, and, and but then I will say this: it would be two lessons, and one of which the, the Republicans really need to learn. And one's more of a lesson, I guess, even for Democrats. In one state, if they were to lose Kentucky, the lesson would be you just can't run any old clown. You can't run Roy Moore. You can't run Matt Bevan. You have to you know, have somebody that at least appears to want to govern uh, for over half the population. I'm not even sure Matt Bevan even gets to a, <laughs> even close to a majority of the population. He's governing for the anti-vaxxers and everything else. And then in the case of Mississippi, and I haven't done an opposition research file on, on Tate Reeves or anybody else in that primary, but it would be a case where, yes, a guy builds a long-term legacy in Jim Hood and then gets rewarded because people said this guy's been a good public servant in our state for two decades, and, and let's elevate him. And so I think that would be more the lesson there if you pull the double. And, of course, there would be that trend um, that would affect nationwide. But I think that would be the two bigger lessons there, um, one for each side and one for each candidate based on what happens. Let me ask you a question. um, Let me ask you a question. Well, why is Matt Bevin in trouble? Well, Well, it's very simple, isn't it? He slapped people in the face that voted for him with this thing with teachers and and with this thing with denying you know medicaid expansion in a state that just so sorely needs it he slapped his own voters right in the face shouldn't he expect to be where he is yeah i mean he uh there's a I guess a cultural component that may have helped him, but then when it got into the nuts and bolts, economics and, and medical care is an economic issue a lot of times. Um, that That's where he, you know, went off uh, script on them. Well, guys, until next week, that's been the Cudsy Run. Good night, y'all. Good night. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. with a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world. America has created-